Now, the Kurds are fighting for their land, just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today, they didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with North Normandy, as an example. They mentioned names of different battles. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California, on KFOI, Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. But today, you got me again. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, based at nicolesandler.com, doing the fill-in duty for one more day after today. And then Brad and Desi will be back. I promise. I know. I'm more than ready for them to return. And they will. They're now catching up on everything that went on while they were gone. And my goodness, can you think of a time, say a three-week period of time, where there was more breaking news of immense proportions, <laughs> breaking on like a, an hourly basis. But they'll get all caught up and they'll be back. In the meantime, let me bring you up to date on the latest news, because oh my goodness, there's a lot of it happening. In fact, the news broke Thursday morning that two foreign business associates of Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, have been charged with a scheme to root foreign money into U.S. elections. All this according to a newly unsealed indictment. Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman were arrested Wednesday night at Dulles International Airport as they attempted to leave the country. Not only were they leaving the country, reports say they both had one-way tickets to Vienna. Can you say flee? Hmm. The two men have been under investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan and did appear in federal court in Virginia Thursday afternoon. According to the indictment, Parnas, Fruman, and other defendants, quote, conspired to circumvent the federal laws against foreign influence by engaging in a scheme to funnel foreign money to candidates for federal and state office so that the defendants could buy potential influence with the candidates' campaigns and the candidates' governments. That's a quote. The indictment says Parnas and Fruman committed to raising $20,000 or more in 2018 for a, quote, then-sitting U.S. congressman, from whom they also sought help in removing the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. That's who was removed, person who's supposed to show up to be deposed behind closed doors on Friday. But because she still works for the State Department, she has been told not to cooperate. But I digress. Fruman also donated $2,700 to this congressman who's identified in the indictment as Congressman One and also gave in Parnas's name. Both of them donated to former Dallas area Republican Representative Pete Sessions, who lost his bid for election in 2018, is trying to come back in Waco uh, in 2020. But he's the one believed to be Congressman One, as referred to in the indictment just in case you were wondering. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut tweeted out, let's just be clear about what happened. The two Russian-born ringleaders of the Ukraine scandal just got arrested for making hundreds of thousands of dollars of illegal contributions to Trump's re-election. FYI, none of this is on the level. 
there was a press conference in Manhattan Thursday afternoon, or an announcement really, by the Southern District of New York and the FBI about this indictment. This is Bill Sweeney, assistant director of the FBI's New York field office. Last night at a Washington Dulles International Airport, the FBI arrested Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman on campaign finance-related charges as they attempted to leave the United States. Andre Kukushkin was arrested in San Francisco shortly thereafter. David Correa, the fourth individual charged in today's indictment, is not yet in our custody. Campaign finance finance laws exist for a reason. The American people expect and deserve an election process that has not been corrupted by the influence of foreign interests, and the public has a right to know the true source of campaign contributions. Laws make up the fabric of who we are as a nation. These allegations are not about some technicality, a civil violation, or an error on a form. This investigation is about corrupt behavior, deliberate law-breaking. The FBI takes the obligation to tackle corruption seriously. There are no exceptions to this rule. We gather evidence, we collect facts, and we will act on them when appropriate. As Jeff mentioned, our investigation will continue. Ooh, it will continue. So, to be continued. Remember just last week, although it seems like a lifetime ago, but it was just a week ago when Donald Trump on live television asked the Chinese to probe Joe Biden and his son? Trump and his followers said it was a joke. Obviously, China didn't hear it that way. The Financial Times is reporting that Michael Pillsbury, who's known as an informal White House advisor on China, said that he received information about the business activities of Hunter Biden during a visit to Beijing the same week that Donald Trump urged China to probe Hunter Biden. Interesting how that works, isn't it? Pillsbury told Financial Times, quote, I got quite a bit of background on Hunter Biden from the Chinese. When asked whether he was going to turn it over to Donald Trump, he didn't answer. Ugh, these people are just sickening. In other news, this happened. Now, the Kurds are fighting for their land, just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today, they didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Normandy, as an example. They mentioned names of different battles. They were there, but they're there to help us with their land. And that's a different thing. That is the president of the United States trying to justify his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from northern Syria and allow Turkey to invade and attack the Kurds our allies in the region, who did all the heavy lifting on destroying ISIS. It was just one of a long string of offensive statements made by Trump during a press conference Wednesday after he signed another executive order. Turkey launched its military offensive into northeastern Syria earlier in the day, hammering Kurdish forces with airstrikes and artillery fire. Reports on the ground paint a chaotic scene, with roads gridlocked as people try to flee to safety and other reports of civilian casualties. The Kurdish forces have stopped their counter-ISIS operations to focus on defending themselves against the Turks, raising fears that all this could lead to a resurgence of ISIS. U.S. officials have also expressed concern that thousands of ISIS fighters may escape from prisons in Syria. Asked about that possibility on Wednesday, Trump essentially shrugged it off, saying it's not America's problem since the fighters would be escaping to Europe. Some of these ISIS fighters escape and pose a threat elsewhere. Well, they're going to be escaping to Europe. That's where they want to go. They want to go back to their homes, but Europe didn't want them from us. We could have given it to them. They could have had trials. They could have done whatever they wanted. But as usual, uh, it's not reciprocal. You know my favorite word, reciprocal. That's all I want. I don't want an edge. I just want reciprocal. And it's not reciprocal, Steve. It's not a fair deal for the United States. Trump's decision to side with Turkey's Erdogan over our allies, the Kurds, might be the straw that finally breaks the GOP's back. Senators Lindsey Graham, Republican, and Chris Van Hollen, Democrat, said after Turkey's actions that they've reached an agreement on sanctions legislation. The bill would target Turkey's energy sector and military. It also includes visa restrictions for Turkish leadership, including President Erdogan. As of right now, Erdogan is scheduled to visit Washington in a few weeks at Trump's invitation. The military operation has been condemned by governments around the world. 
responding to that condemnation from Europe on Thursday, Erdogan said in a speech, quote, we will open the gates and send 3.6 million refugees your way. Erdogan also said that 109, quote, terrorists had been killed since Turkey launched its offensive into Syria. Ankara treats the Kurdish fighters as terrorists. Now, Trump seems unconcerned about how his support of Erdogan and abandoning the Kurds will affect America's standing among allies. His answer regarding alliances was astounding. The Kurds helped the U.S. defeat ISIS, and by allowing this offensive, is it going to be more difficult in future um, times of need to develop alliances? No, it won't be. Uh, it won't be at all. Alliances are very easy. But, you know, our alliances have taken advantage of us. If you look at how much money we spend on NATO and how much money countries from Europe, who are really a much bigger beneficiary than we are, okay, you know, they're, they're there and we're here. We're many miles away. Uh, our alliances, in many cases, have taken tremendous advantage of us. If you look at NATO, I got them to pay $100 billion more. The New York Times is reporting, quote, at the Pentagon, where more than five years of fighting alongside Kurdish troops in Iraq and Syria has now given way to standing aside as those same allies are attacked, some officials said there was more anger than they had seen at any point in Trump's presidency. And Jennifer Griffin, a national security reporter for Fox News, tweeted Wednesday night about her conversation with what she describes as a, quote, distraught U.S. Special Forces soldier who is serving alongside the SDF Kurdish forces. It was one of the hardest phone calls I've ever taken. She quotes the soldier as saying, I am ashamed for the first time in my career. Jennifer Griffin continued quoting the soldier as saying, Turkey is not doing what it agreed to. It's horrible. We met every single security agreement. The Kurds met every single agreement. There was no threat to the Turks, none from this side of the border. This is insanity. I don't know what they call atrocities, but they are happening. The thread goes on for quite a while with more quotes from the soldier. She ends the thread by saying, This U.S. Special Forces soldier wanted me to know, quote, The Kurds are sticking by us. No other partner I've ever dealt with would stand by us, disappointed in the decisions coming from their senior leaders. Well, at that press conference on Wednesday, Trump also fought back against the impeachment inquiry, claiming that since Democrats, quote, have a tiny margin in the House, they've eviscerated the rules. Well, no. In fact, in our system of government, whoever is in the House majority gets to write the rules no matter how large or small the majority. Someone get Donald Trump to a civics class, please. New polls are showing support for impeachment is rapidly climbing. A new Fox News national poll shows a new high of 51 percent want Trump impeached and removed from office. We have just released Fox News polls on what voters think about impeachment. 51 percent of those responding say the president should be impeached and removed from office. That's up nine points from July. Four percent say impeach but do not remove. Forty percent say do not impeach. Of those favoring impeachment and removal, that breaks down to 85 percent of Democrats, 39 percent of independents and 13 percent of Republicans. In July, 42 percent favored impeachment and removal, while 5 percent said impeached but don't remove him and 45 percent opposed impeachment. I'm beginning to sense a pattern here. Bloomberg News reported Wednesday that in 2017, Donald Trump reportedly pressed then-Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to help persuade the Justice Department to drop a criminal case against an Iranian-Turkish gold trader who just happened to be a client of Rudy Giuliani's. Tillerson refused, arguing it would constitute interference in an ongoing investigation of the trader. Quote, Tillerson immediately repeated his objections to the then chief of staff, John Kelly, in a hallway conversation just outside the Oval Office, emphasizing that the request would be illegal. Neither episode has been previously reported, and all of the people spoke on condition of anonymity due to the sensitivity of the conversations. In other news, a gunman's attack in the eastern German town of Halle was horrifying. But authorities point out it could have been a lot worse if he'd been able to break down a synagogue's doors. The gunman who was arrested killed two people, one right outside the synagogue and one at a nearby shop. 
but the shooter couldn't get through the doors of the synagogue, and that likely spared the lives of the 70 to 80 people inside for Yom Kippur services. Happens to be the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. And our hearts go out to the people in Northern California who are clients of Pacific Gas and Electric. Almost 800,000 of those customers are sitting in darkness after the utility cut off power in several counties to reduce the risk of setting off wildfires with electrical lines. The outages could last as long as a week for some. A forecast of strong winds is posing a major fire danger, but the winds are expected to subside on Thursday. But still, cutting off power to 800,000 customers, which translates to probably a couple of million people in Northern California because it's windy? I sense a lawsuit coming on. And that's a taste of what's happening in the news. (laughs) Still to come on the show, Tom Hartman will be here. Yes, Tom Hartman. He's got a new book out, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. But first, we're going to check in with a friend in the U.K. Dennis Campbell is a broadcaster and an author and a journalist, and he's suffering right alongside of us on the other side of the Atlantic. Misery loves company, you know. So we'll check in with him next. I am Nicole Sandler, your guest host on today's edition of The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. We can bomb the world to pieces, but we can't bomb it into peace. It's Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, once again filling in for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen on the broadcast. So with everything unfolding here in the U.S., I'm always curious as to what our allies around the world think. And of course, we have probably no greater ally in the world than the U.K. I have a regular correspondent. He's an American expatriate living in Wales who is a broadcaster, an author, a journalist, and a businessman. His name is Dennis Campbell, and we commiserate from time to time. So... Hey, Dennis. What do you want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) What a world, huh? Wow. Uh, You know, yesterday was the first time I I got so angry that I almost could no longer function. It was just the all of the news coming out of Turkey and the Middle East and uh, um, impeachment and denials and anger and yelling at people. And it was just it was it felt like we were really spinning out of control yesterday for the first time. Oh, it's it, it, and I wouldn't say for the first time. I mean, this has been a constant roller coaster of news and and horrible news at that oh, since God. you know November 9th, two thousand sixteen. Um, yeah, but some it days, was especially bad yesterday. Well, yes, and seeing the images out of Syria and knowing oh. what's happening to the Kurds is just horrific. And then seeing Donald Trump smirking and making such stupid statements, proving his 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 idiocy, proving his ignorance about all things on the world stage is just it's it's not only embarrassing, but it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And 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 the, you know, the I don't know how much of it you heard, but <clears throat> listening to him in that rambling press presser, which was really just a supposed to be a five minute press avail before mm-hmm. he goes on and, and does the ceremony. I mean, the people behind him looked as if they were about dead on their feet because there were a lot of older people there that were <laughs> p- 
pretty much just trying to survive and wondering what the hell they'd walked into the middle of. Mm-hmm. And that whole description of what goes on at Dover. Oh, my when the God. Remains of soldiers come back. I just I was that was I think that was the straw that broke my back. It's the total lack of anything resembling sensitivity. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, when I heard that, I took I paused during my day yesterday. You know, I'm still doing double duty, doing both my show and Brad Friedman's. And so my and I do it all alone. I'm my own producer and everything. So my days are, are pretty stretched pretty thin. But I <clears> saw <throat> when he wrapped up his little press avail and as soon as it was available online, I watched it and I started recording it. And I took it, I listened as long as I could before I just couldn't take it anymore. And what astounded me later, once I finished all my work and sat down to watch the news, is what he said after I turned it off. Because the, yeah. the, the more, I, I mean, it, it, <laughs> insane stuff came at the very end. That's, yeah. that's when he, that's what I'm, I'm just still shaking. That's when he complained that the Kurds didn't help us in Normandy. Like what? Yeah. yeah. Just, and apparently he got that from something from Town Hall. Yeah, some right wing idiot who wrote a a blog post at Town Hall, and this is who he's quoting: the president of the United States is quoting some unnamed troll from Town Hall. I, it's it's astounding. And it could be you, worse. You, we could be working in the State Department right now. Oh, God. Well, and you mentioned the people standing behind him. Mark Meadows, who's one of the chairs of the Freedom Caucus, you know, they're the leftovers from the Tea Partiers. Um, he looked alternately embarrassed and and ashamed. Uh, with them. Stricken, probably the same I believe, thing. is the word you're looking for. Just, and, and yeah. you know, I, I how can he stand there and hold his tongue? That's what I don't get. And I've had the misfortune of turning on Morning Jerk this morning on MSNBC, and Joe Scarborough is talking about Mark Meadows as like this, you know, bastion of integrity. No, if he had integrity, he would have lashed out and said, "Stop it already! This is yeah. insane." The people of America, I apologize for defending this cretin. Everything is wrong. Everything is backwards. Everything is broken. We need to fix it now. Impeach the MF. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, and you know, the longer they wait, the more difficult it becomes to field candidates to replace them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, <laughs> Are you talking about Trump? Uh, to, yeah. You know, I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, it looks like everybody in his inner circle is is implicated from Mike Pence to Mike Pompeo to Mick Mulvaney to yeah. uh, R- William Barr. I mean, the list goes on and on. Rudy Giuliani. Today we're seeing yeah, it, 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 it Two, two arrested more. there. That's right. Two more um, arrested. Fruman and Parnas. Um, Free, fleeing the country. They right. were arrested at the airport. <laughs> and um, there's a uh, his lawyer, their lawyer is former Trump lawyer John Dowd, who it's, it's oh, very God. incestuous. Listen to this statement that John Dowd just put out, basically saying why they can't um, produce all the documents that are requested. But in doing so, he lays out the relationship between these two and, and the people in Trump's world. He wrote, Be advised that Mr. Parnas and Fruman assisted Mr. Giuliani in connection with his representation of President Trump. Mr. Parnas and Mr. Furman have also been represented by Mr. Giuliani in connection with their personal and business affairs. They also assisted Joseph DeGeneva and Victoria Tensing in their law practice. Oh, good Lord. Thus, certain information you seek in your September 30th, 2019 letter is protected by the attorney-client, attorney work product, and other privileges. Given the breadth and detail of your request for information, an appropriate pre, uh, privilege review cannot reasonably be conducted by October 7th, the date you have set to produce documents and communications. The amount of time required is difficult to determine, but we're happy to keep you advised of our progress and engage in a <laughs> rolling production of non-privileged documents. But the other interesting thing here is that these documents were originally requested to be turned over by October 7th. Today is October 10th, and it was last night they were arrested trying to flee the country. I love it. I love uh, it. I love it. Yeah. The rats are deserting the sinking ship in record numbers. Well, let's hope. And and reports that these two are have rolled 
as the vernacular states, apparently is helping out the stock market today. It's it's incredible. So so Dennis Campbell, you're over there in the UK with the, yes, with the news in this latest series of events uh, that led to sentiments changing here in the U.S. about impeachment. The call with uh, Zelensky in Ukraine. When that news broke, what was the reaction over there? Not like you guys aren't dealing with your own crap with Brexit and everything, but I know I know you guys stay on top of what's happening here. Yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't that nobody was particularly surprised and it didn't make as much of a um, a, a big splash over here as the news yesterday of the United States abandoning oh. its allies, the, the Kurds. And I think that was the that was the big news here. And and uh, everybody from the prime minister on down. And there was apparently a telephone conversation last night between Boris Johnson and President Trump. And the readouts of the two calls are amazingly different. Oh, what a surprise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> our, our readout here yesterday was one that, you know, discussed all of the major issues, including, you know, worries about trade, worries about refugees coming in from that part of the world, worries about, you know, are we going to, you know, still have a strong allied relationship as a result of what had just happened. The White House version that came out was the, you know, basically that the president and the prime minister had a conversation on a number of topics, full stop. <laughs> and and uh, that's not surprising at all, based on the level of obstruction from this administration, yeah. how much they hide from people. And of course, in classic Donald Trumpian um, um, uh, vernacular, it, it's we're the most transparent administration ever because he talks in opposite world. He lives in opposite world. And if yeah. you if you take the opposite of everything he says, then you're you're at least on the right track to what's true. Exactly. And, you know, and, and pretty much it, from not only opposite world, but projection. You know, so that everything he says about somebody else is literally yeah. something that he stands accused of in the court of public opinion. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, it, it is what's the official word from Borch? Obviously, the UK, uh, one of our chief allies here in the U.S. What yeah. is the official stance on Donald Trump basically telling Erdogan, "We'll stand with you instead of our allies, the Kurds"? Well, they're not happy. I mean, basically. You know, the reaction to the uh, remark during that ridiculous uh, press avail he had before the uh, signing of the two executive orders yesterday saying, you know, they're going to go back home to Europe where they came from in the first oh place. Oh, my God. It was like, OK, <laughs> looks like we're on our own here. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, how can any ally of the United States anywhere in the world stand by whatever the U.S. president says? And it used to be, a you know, a matter of pride that, you know, the U.S. handshake was worth you know, all the gold in the world because you would stand by your commitments to people. But ever since he started demanding NATO, you know, pay its fair share, you know, and which they do, he of just doesn't know do. how to do maths. And the uh, way he explains how they've paid up uh, billions of dollars because of me, it's all nonsense. He's making this stuff up. He's lying. Yeah. There is no yeah. central pool that NATO money goes into to pay for the expenses. It just doesn't work that way. Well, he tried to say that uh, the United States contributed more than anybody in Europe to Ukraine. And, you know, it was shown that over the last three years, actually, Europe paid far more, almost four times more mm. money to help the Ukraine than any other than the United States or any other country for that matter. So it's it's uh, it, it, if it wasn't so damned serious, it would be laughable. And it's not laughable at no. all because this man is a, you know, literally dementing human being right there in front of us on the world stage. And nobody knows what to do. Yeah. You know, my husband had an interesting theory. Um, uh, you know, I, I, yesterday was, uh, discussing with, I was, I was discussing with Tom Hartman earlier um, uh, the reasons, you know, that, that Trump would do this, that he would side with, uh, with, with uh, Erdogan over our allies. And I thought, what, does it have to do with the fact that he's got a pair of Trump towers in Istanbul? Or maybe, um, you know, obviously Putin's influence. He wants to please his, his overlord, Vlad. Um, but David's thought was, remember back to Khashoggi. 
It was yeah. the Turkish embassy where he went, where he was dismembered, murdered, and, and, and you know. Um, uh, obviously, MBS wants that story to go away. And Donald Trump probably cut a deal with Erdogan to make the story go away by if as long as he does him this favor. Well, it's it, it, the Turkish relationship is far more complicated because uh, no matter where you go, you run into people that Erdogan, Erdogan is even more paranoid, if that is possible, than Donald Trump is. Wow. And uh, he has a very tenuous hold on his government. He's, you know, changed. He's done away with the judiciary. He's basically made himself a, a full-time dictator and nobody has stopped him to this point. Um, I have here, believe it or not, in Cardiff, Wales, four very, very dear friends who came over here six years ago because they were being smeared by Erdogan for starting the Gezi Park uprising, the one that almost overthrew him completely. Hmm. And uh, they put on and created a, a play which was seen, and these were very famous actors in Turkey, uh, that was seen all over the country and became kind of the, um, the touchstone for those that were in the resistance movement. And indeed, the, they have been tried here this, this past couple of months in absentia, you know, and, and sentenced to life in prison in Turkey. So basically, they're living here in exile, even though their visas and papers are all fine. And, uh, you know, it is, it is really sad what he has done to quiet anybody in the press, anybody in the arts, anybody that could possibly speak up against him have come under his wrath in one form or another. And he has a bunch of thugs. I mean, we saw well, that. Can I just, the, I want to stop you right yeah. there because what you just described, obviously you were talking about Erdogan. You could have been talking about Donald Trump. Yes. I mean, if he could get away with it, he would. Absolutely. If he could dismantle the press, if he could put all of his opponents in jail, he would. And I think that's yep. his source of greatest frustration is that he's not king and that he cannot do that. So, yeah, it's yep. I mean, it's really it's just crazy making. It, it, it is insane. And Dennis Campbell, of course, you are American. Do you still have you have dual citizenship? How does that work? I do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I Well, you know, technically, I suppose it's illegal because, you know, they always say you're supposed to, you know, give up one or the other. But because when I sought it, I had very young children and, you know, those children were born of Dutch origin, living in the United Kingdom as part of the European Union. And, uh, you know, they have Dutch and American EU and American citizenship. We've just gone through the process now because of this Brexit mania mm -hmm. of getting everybody uh, what's called a permanent right to remain status, which was easier than trying to get a third passport for them, you know, basically, right, right. Uh, because it's so much more expensive. But um, this Brexit thing has caused a number of issues for people who never thought something like this could happen. And I think in the back of my mind, because I've been a citizen now here for nine years and I just got my second passport. So uh, I saw 10 years ago where we were headed and the thought occurred to me that as a United States citizen, if I were to divorce, if something were to happen to my wife, if, uh, you know, what would happen to the kids, where would they be able to stay? All of these issues were coming up. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to apply for British citizenship so that at least I have that EU citizenship to be free to work anywhere in the EU. Mm -hmm. And now God only knows what happens come two weeks from now. Uh, right. Three weeks from now. Uh, three me. weeks from now. October 31st yeah. is, is the day that Brexit is supposed to happen. So uh, what's the latest over there? Well, uh, Boris Johnson and the, the Tisuch, who is the prime minister of or president of, of, of Ireland, Leo Varadkar, sat down for a very long meeting and, and I've been getting continual updates on this from journalists around the globe. The meeting lasted for over three hours and they issued a joint statement, which was the first time that's happened in a long time, that basically said we are going to, um, you know, they believed, they, they continue to believe a deal is in everybody's interest. They agreed that they could see a pathway to a possible deal. Doesn't amount to much because that's what all sides have said from the moment Brexit talks started. But the second sentence of it is most significant, and that has sent the pound moving upward. I mean, the pound has gone crazy, which says that their discussion concentrated on the challenges of customs and consent, which has been the sole issue for Ireland, which is they can't have a hard border under the Good Friday Accords. So what are we going to do? 
And so um, this is going to be very interesting. They, they agreed that they could see a pathway to a possible deal. What that means, nobody knows. And what? are they both looking at the same pathway? Right. Because yeah. people here still believe that he's going to present two letters on the 19th rather than break the law. He's going to you know, say, ask for an extension. And then the second letter, he's going to make conditions that are so ridiculous, there's no way they'd ever give us an extension. And he would then be violating the law under the opinion of many people. Now, isn't he still already in trouble for lying to the queen to, to get the prorog proroguing of parliament? Yeah. Uh, did I say that correctly? Yeah, you did. But not much has happened since they've come back because none of the other parties can agree as to who would head a unity government. Hmm. So even though they're trying to set up a unity government, they don't seem to find any unity in setting up that unity government. So, you know, no one wants to see Corbyn, you know, be the head of it, who is the head of the Labour Party. No one wants to see Joe Swinson from the Lib Dems. So they've been putting forward a number of potential. And nobody wants to see um, Scotland's leader be the head of it as well. So they're looking at everybody from um, the current speaker, order, order, order to, us. you know, prominent people that are outside of the body that could act as 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 uh, prime minister have a caretaker government while we then go into elections and oh, they yeah. want to postpone Brexit to the 31st of January. <laughs> oh, God. So uh, three and a half years, we still can't make up our bloody minds. And here we are going to continue to push it back, push it back, push it back. And the world keeps turning somehow, uh -huh. miraculously. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I <laughs> it, it, luckily, it doesn't <laughs> involve any effort on our part for that to happen, because if it, it involved cooperative working together, um, uh, we'd fall out in the sky. Yeah. And, and it's uh, I don't know. It's it didn't always used to be that way. And I think, you know, a lot of this can be can be thrown at the feet of of uh, of President Trump. But they can, it also can be thrown at the, at the feet of outside instigators across Europe like. Um, our our good friend and former presidential advisor, whose name has just escaped me, um, involved with Cambridge Analytica and uh, all of those other organizations, uh, basically leader of the dark arts inside the Trump Oh, you're talking campaign. about Steve Bannon? Steve Bannon, thank yeah. you. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. One of those momentary mind farts. I that, get uh, him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, I can, I can see his ugly pockmarked face yep. in front of me. Oh, yeah. and, 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 uh, but it was just one of those situations where you go, good Lord. Yep. When is this going to end? Do we, how can this guy be allowed to do some of the things that he's done all across Europe and uh, nobody's standing up to say, stop? I mean, Nigel Farage, who used to head the UKIP party, now is sort of uh, the, uh, the de facto head of the Brexit party. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it just all sorts of disruptors with but one goal, and that is to destroy the existing order and do nothing to help and grow and, uh, and and contribute anything other than division and hatred and racism. <laughs> Sounds like a recipe for <laughs> disaster. Uh, yes. This is the world we live in. Dennis <laughs> Campbell, thank you for checking in. I, I guess globally we're all in this together. What a mess. It is indeed. Messes are us. Well, things are messy here in the United States. And one place where how messy it will get is still to be determined. But we're a step closer because the Supreme Court is back in session as of the beginning of this week, first Monday in October. To celebrate, Tom Hartman has a new book out. It's The Hidden History of the Supreme Court. We'll check in with him next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Set me free, why don't you, baby? Get out my life, why don't you, baby? Cause you don't really love me. You just keep me hanging on. Welcome back to the broadcast. 
I'm your guest host for just one more day after this, I promise. Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, again in for Brad and Desi. So the Supreme Court kicked off its new term on Monday. I don't know about you, but I'm really scared of what this term of the Supreme Court will bring. And sadly, I've learned that, well, the Supreme Court has amassed a whole lot more power in the 200-plus years since the Constitution's been in effect than the Constitution originally gave them. How did that happen? Well, for that, we turn to Tom Hartman. Yes, that Tom Hartman, radio broadcaster, author, all-around expert, right? His brand-new book is called The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. So, Tom, knowing how you work— I take it this book is not your typical, here's the history of the Supreme Court. No, it, it, it tells the story of, uh, you know, there's a couple of, of broad stories uh, in the book and, and, and really issues that we need to all be discussing as Americans. Um, the first, I think the largest, is whether we want America to be a, a representative uh, democratic republic or whether we want America to be a constitutional monarchy. Hmm. Because um, what has happened, uh, you know, the, the, the founders originally envisioned the Supreme Court as basically the, the place where the buck stopped, you know, the final court of appeals. But what has happened over, in particular since the, the failure of Reconstruction, since the 1880s, when the court was badly corrupted, uh, openly bribed by the uh, railroad barons and then some of the industrial barons in the late 1800s, um, what, and then, and then, of course, uh, became essentially partisan in the in the 20th century. What has happened is that the court has started striking down laws, and in some cases, actually writing legislation, writing laws. Uh, you know, um, inventing doctrines out of whole cloth. The idea that corporations are persons, or that the money is free speech. No legislature has ever proposed these things. The court literally wrote these as law. And there's no provision in the Constitution for this, none whatsoever. And it's called judicial review. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the court has gone from the first, you know, 100 years of American history virtually never doing this. They, they only did it twice between the founding of the Republic and the Civil War. Uh, once was Marbury v. Madison in 1803, which was when, you know, Jefferson exploded over this. And, and it so freaked everybody out that they just didn't go near it again. And the second was Dred Scott in 1856, which led us right into the Civil War. So the court didn't used to do this, but now it does. Now, when like when Obamacare was passed, everybody was like, well, what's the court going to say? Well, we should be asking that question. You know, in a constitutional monarchy, you've got the, the whole idea of a constitutional monarchy is that you can't trust the people, that, that uh, you know, you have to have the ultimate source of power somewhere other than we, the people. It has to be in, in a monarch. Um, and what we have done is what the Supreme Court has done, uh, particularly in the last 60, 80 years, is it has established itself as the monarchs of the United States oh. and, and, and having final say over literally everything. They've taken, they've taken power. You know, they have greater power now than the president or Congress and, and more consequential power over the long term. And um, this is an issue that just, I mean, this has happened without debate. And without discussion. And so I'm, I'm hoping to start a conversation about that, number one. And then number two, the other thing is when the Constitution was first written, the hot new things on the, on the scene, you know, coming out of the Enlightenment in the 1600s were human rights and property rights. And, uh, you know, that was all well and good for the first hundred years of America or thereabouts. But now we've got environmental rights. We've got an environment that uh, the framers of the Constitution right. couldn't have imagined. It was as is as limited as it has become, and our constitution has no way of dealing with that. And so we've got to figure out what to do around that too. Right, as as I often say, um, you know, we the people don't have paid lobbyists. You know, corporations do. They have people going to Washington and lobbying on their behalf. As a whole, the American people don't. I guess technically, our elected representatives are that, but but the lobbyists would be talking to them on our behalf. Um, it, it it you tell a story uh, on the air, and I don't know. I'm I'm sure you got to it in this book. 
I just haven't gotten to it yet, um, about how the whole idea behind Citizens United, that, that corporations are people, that, that money equals mm-hmm. speech, was actually not even, a, it certainly wasn't written into law by Congress. It, it wasn't even interpreted by the, the Supreme Court in deciding a case. It was more a footnote on another case that, that a clerk wrote saying that money equals speech mm-hmm. and, and that all of a sudden became uh, accepted uh, theory here? Can you explain that to us? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, This uh, I wrote a book about it uh, mm-hmm. called Unequal Protection because right. they used the 14th Amendment, which was the Equal Protection Clause, um, as, the, as the hook for this. In 1886, uh, one of the Supreme Court justices who had been bought off by the railroads, his name was Stephen J. Field, uh, Fields, um, was bought by Jay Gould, the railroad baron, and uh, he both sat on the Supreme Court three months a year, and then nine months out of the year was the head of the Ninth Circuit in California, which is how they did it back in the 19, wow. 1900s, uh, or the 1800s, 19th century. And and uh, he passed a, a series, they called them the California tax laws, or cases rather, of uh, five or six or seven, I don't remember the exact number of cases uh, from the Ninth Circuit up to the Supreme Court, where he ruled that corporations had rights as persons under the 14th Amendment, and then he kicked it up to his own Supreme Court for further ruling. And this one particular case in 1886, Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad, um, Delphin Dalmas was the, the lawyer who saved the Redwoods in California pro bono. He also argued this case before the Supreme Court um, and the argument being made by Mr. Sanderson, Robert Sanderson, the lawyer for the uh, railroad, was that, the, that, that because corporations are persons, that is to say they're considered artificial persons, they have uh, certain legal rights. They can sue and be sued. They can engage in contracts. Um, you know, they pay taxes. You have to have a certain level of personhood for those things to be the case. But because of that, that they, that they had rights under the Bill of Rights, um, starting with the 14th Amendment right of equal protection under the law. And therefore, uh, all those, because Santa Clara County was charging a penny a mile more on property taxes to the railroads than Santa Ana County was, that was unequal protection. That was a violation of 14th Amendment rights. The railroad lost that case, and, and, and they didn't lose it on a constitutional basis. They lost it because the Supreme Court ruled that the California Constitution allowed the you know different counties to set their own property taxes period full stop but as you note in the head note to that case which is has no legal standing at all it was written by john chandler bancroft davis who was the clerk of the court his father was the former governor of massachusetts a very wealthy very powerful man um he was the former president of a railroad the bnl railroad in uh, in baltimore um john chandler bancroft davis wrote in the head note that uh, Morrison Renick Waite, the Chief Justice, had made a comment to the effect during the hearings that uh, uh, there's no debate over whether corporations are persons. We all agree that they are persons. Well, Waite actually did say that, but what he was saying was we all agree they're artificial persons. They can pay taxes, they can sue, they have standing in this case, you know, they can, they can have a case before the Supreme Court. That's all Waite was saying. He wasn't saying they're entitled to rights under the 14th Amendment. But then the Supreme Court uh, later, you know, a few years, about a decade later, quoted that head note. And, you know, the Supreme Court can quote Mickey Mouse. Right. It doesn't matter what they're quoting. If they, if they make a decision based on that quote, then that now becomes the precedent. So the 1886 case wasn't the precedent. It was the first one that followed it. And there have been 30 since then, which took us right to Citizens United, which again quoted that head note from Santa Clara wow. County. The, the, the money is speech part. That came about because of Lewis Powell. Lewis Powell in 71 wrote that memo where he said rich people and corporations need to get together and take over our public schools, take over our universities, take over our courts, um, build think tanks to mold public opinion, buy the media, et cetera, et cetera, the famous Powell memo. Nixon put him on the court in 72. In 76, for the first time in the history of the United States, we had always considered money to be property, which could be regulated, and, uh, and in fact, in 74, 75 and early 76, there were numerous laws passed, federal laws, regulating money in politics after the Nixon bribery scandals. And um, the, the, the Supreme Court, Lewis Powell, you know, aggressively arguing this, uh, the Supreme Court, a case called Buckley versus Vallejo, mm-hmm. 
decided that uh, rich people owning politicians was not uh, the spending of money and therefore had anything to do with property that could be regulated, but instead was free speech and was protected by the First Amendment. Two years later, in a decision that Lewis Powell himself actually authored, uh, First National Bank versus Frank Bellotti, uh, the court ruled that that logic extended to corporations. And then, of course, in Citizens United uh, in, 20, in October 2010, the court pulled those two decisions together along with their interpretation of the Santa Clara decision and put it all in a nice little package with a, with a bow and a ribbon on it and uh, handed it to the rich people in America and, you know, uh, elections. Really, the corruption of our elections began with that Buckley decision in 76. That's what got us Ronald Reagan. That's Lovely. when all this big money started pouring into politics. And, and and money rules. Uh, and, and again, there's no yep. legal precedent for it. It just sort of happened. And as you explain in the book, I did see the part about the beginning, uh, at least about judicial review. Again, that was not a power given to the Supreme Court by the Constitution to decide the, the constitutionality of laws, to decide whether a law duly passed by Congress is legal. If it's passed by Congress, it's legal, right? Yeah, and, and in fact, uh, to the contrary, I mean, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton, uh, you know, when he was selling the, the, the Constitution and selling the Supreme Court, people were very worried that the Supreme Court would end up, you know, having all that too much power by being able to strike down laws. And this is from Federalist Number 81. Alexander Hamilton says, there is not a syllable in the plan under consideration, this is the Constitution, which directly empowers the national courts to construe the laws according to the spirit of the Constitution, hmm. or which gives them any greater latitude in this respect than may, than may be claimed by the courts of every state. In other words, no, you can't do this, but they've been doing it. And when they did it in 1803, the very first time in the Marbury case, Thomas Jefferson said our Constitution has become a suicide pact. If this decision stands, the Constitution has become a thing of wax to be molded in the hands of the judiciary. He said that in a letter to Abigail Adams, who was his, his close friend at the time. Um, and, uh, and, and another uh, letter to, uh, I think it was uh, uh, George Mason, he said that, uh, you know, under this, under this uh, logic, the Supreme Court has become a despotic branch of government, that this is essentially the end of a representative democratic republic and the beginning of a constitutional monarchy, and he was right. Yes, and now, Tom Hartman, with with Mitch McConnell's um, uh, stewardship, I guess, of the, of the Senate, uh, and his his blocking uh, the, the duly elected president of the United States, who still had almost a year to go on his term when uh, Scalia died, uh, and, and Mitch McConnell prevented the president from nominating a, a, another Supreme Court justice. Actually, he nominated him. McConnell just wouldn't bring him up for confirmation. McConnell also blocked confirmation of many, many uh, judges, many judicial appointments. 143 that, of them. 143 of them. And then, you know, Trump comes into office and goes, Obama just didn't fill the job, didn't fill the positions. That's not the case at all. Right. Mitch McConnell stole those those judgeships, those, those lifetime appointments in many cases, and a Supreme Court seat from the Democrats. Are the Democrats just feckless? Are they, do, are they, do, they, do they have no recourse to stand up against the criminal Republicans? Barack Obama really blew this. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he had the voter pulpit. It, mm -hmm. it, it, Democrats in the Senate, you know, they were they were yelling pretty loudly, but the media doesn't much pay attention to, you know, the occasional senator yelling the occasional thing into the void. Right. But had Obama uh, every single day or every other day called a, a little mini press conference or walked out to the Rose Garden or whatever and just raised absolute hell. I don't think Mitch McConnell could have gotten away with it. Huh. But uh, uh, President Obama limped out. It's a, it's a very um, sad and tragic thing. But, but Donald Trump has now appointed more federal judges than any president in history, all the way back to George Washington, wow. because of this crime that you described that Mitch McConnell uh, committed. And this is one of the reasons why Trump feels so safe in defying Congress, because mm -hmm. he knows that um, you know, all his defiance of Congress is going to be adjudicated in the federal court system. And this is where he's packing it with his judges. And so he's just figuring, you know, luck of the draw. Eventually he's going to get a judge that he put on the bench and he's going to get his way. Right. And so the, the question remains for those of us, uh, uh, you know, I'm knocking on wood laminate here that the Democrats win back the White House and the Senate in 2020. If they don't, 
I, I don't even want to imagine what would happen. We need that in order to protect any semblance of a, 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 a demo- democratic republic going forward, any kind of uh, democracy, um, uh, because what we have now uh, is an oligarchy headed by Trump and the billionaires. Yes. Um, yes. If, and the courts. And the courts. But uh, with judges you know, put forth by Republicans, the most right-wing well, this part. Is, this is another chapter in the book, is where, where we've had four Republican presidents that stole their positions. Mm-hmm. And the, the assistance they got in doing this, Nixon, Reagan, uh, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump, the, the, the assistance that these four Republicans got in stealing the White House was all about packing the Supreme Court. Wow. It's what brought us to this moment. And so, and the, I document how how each one of those guys stole their stole their seats, committed crimes to become president. Wow, wow. Well, some of the candidates have suggested the way forward if if they were to become president is to pack the courts. Nothing in the Constitution says the Supreme Court has nine justices on it, and some have suggested right. adding another two. Is that a way forward? Yep. Yeah. I I think if we get a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, mm-hmm. that should be the first thing they do. Okay. I absolutely do. Good. I, I, because I don't, you know, the, the only thing I'm thinking of is that we're just totally screwed uh, because he's got these people. And, and Mitch McConnell even came out and said he was asked by somebody if somebody dies. I think it was when Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, was diagnosed with her latest bout with cancer. And, you know, would you fill that? Um, in in the final year of Trump's term, he said, without a doubt. Um, yeah. I'm hoping the American people are paying attention. Do you talk to more of them than I do on a daily basis, Tom? Do you do you think the tides are turning? Do you think people are finally paying attention and realize what's been done to us by by this administration and by these Republicans running the Senate? I'm getting that sense, Nicole, and I suspect you are too. And 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 I and I hope that that's the case. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, Trump uh, sanctioning the slaughter mm. of Kurdish women and children, which is happening right now as yep. we speak. Yes, it is. Um, you know, by his good buddy Erdogan, who I believe threatened to pull Trump Tower Istanbul mm-hmm. uh, if Trump didn't allow this. Uh, whether that's going to be the thing that hurts Trump more than his, uh, you know, trying to shake down Ukraine and China. To get dirt on Joe, or to manufacture dirt on Joe Biden. I mean, we'll see. You know, which uh, which crime uh, of the ones that we have right in front of us, you know, right this second, yeah. uh, which of these crimes is going to be bigger? I mean, these are just the crimes of the last two weeks. This guy's been committing crimes since he came into office and lying constantly. Absolutely. And, and and I believe his strategy is what he did, you know, just the other day when he went out to do his latest edition of Chopper Talk and said, um, yeah, you know, not only should uh, Ukraine launch an investigation, but China should, too. I guess he figures if he does yeah. it out in the open, it makes his gaslighting easier because he's saying, I'm not hiding anything. I, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing when there's everything wrong with what he's doing. Well, and that's how it's worked for him. I mean, you know, when uh, uh, paying off a porn star uh, to hide the fact that you had sex with her yeah. is a massive campaign violation. I mean, if, if, if Barack Obama had done that, they would have impeached him in a heartbeat. It's ten, it's 100 times worse than what Bill Clinton did. Uh, Bill Clinton had an affair with, you know, consensual affair and then lied about it. The lie was technically a violation of the law, but the affair was not. Um, you know, what Trump did was, uh, and, and paying him off, and, and, and Michael Cohen is sitting in prison for this yep, right now. that's right. And Donald Trump is still running around loose. That's where it began, but, but you know, Rudy Giuliani came out on Sean Hannity's show and said, yeah, he did that. Yeah, yeah. I've got the check. Yeah, yeah, I know all about it. And everybody's jaw dropped for 24 hours, and then the news cycle just moved on. And I think Trump has, has learned from that. He's, 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 he has gotten away with shooting somebody on Fifth yeah. Avenue. It's just... Not some poor schlub on Fifth Avenue. It's the Constitution's not filled with bullet holes. Absolutely. Uh, Tom Hartman, I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> the people in the chat room are, are all marveling at, at your smarts. I, I love how you just can rattle off all those dates and facts. Uh, I don't have that in me. It's, you've got a, a unique talent to remember all these things and help and, and, and recite it back to us in a way that we can all learn from. The new book is The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America, of course, by Tom Hartman, who you can hear on your radio every day at noon Eastern, um, depending where you listen. uh, Lots of places to find him. In fact, more than any other progressive talker in the country. And that's a good thing. Tom Hartman, thank you so much. Uh, Always a pleasure. 
Thank you, Nicole. It's wonderful being on your show. I really appreciate the invitation. And with that, we come to the end of another edition of the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. It's always my pleasure to fill in for Brad and Desi, and I'm happy I could be helping them out uh, during this time. We've got one more show together, and then they return, okay? Uh, So until next time, as Brad always says, good luck, world.